0: Hi there, I'm Michael Marvash, and this is The Dead Man's Forest. A weekly conversation about existence and how we can think about our lives in ways that help us to live them in a more fulfilling manner. I drove up to the mountain a little later in the day than I usually do. And so I'm not sure if the environmental noises will be different than they normally are. I know they were doing some construction back on the road. And where possible, I will edit out any of that that creeps in. But if you hear something in the background, there's just a little explanation for why you did and where it came from. Last week, we talked about... We kind of wrapped up uh, the conversation on creation and destruction and how those are a part of us. They're they're built into the fabric of our being and how both of them are, are facets of this constant process of change which is simply a part of the universe that we find ourselves in. We also talked about how we are creatures of imagination, how we imagine our past. And we imagine fantastic things, things that don't exist. We imagine the future. And we just started to look at the question, to what extent do we imagine the present? I don't think that magic is real. I can't imagine one of these trees falling down and and will it to be so and and have it happen because my imagination doesn't impact the present moment in that way but if I imagine that one of these trees needs to fall down because I want to build something out of it then I can work to make that happen get a saw and cut it down and it will fall and I can do the work of turning the thing that I imagined into a future reality and so in that way our imagination plays a really important role in both how we think about what happened to us in the past and what will happen to us in the future. What control we have over that comes from our imagination. And as I thought more about that over the course of the week, had conversations about it, I I realized how connected we are to everything that is around us. We can imagine all kinds of things, but we can't imagine everything. We can't. We don't have available to us every possible idea that can be thought, every possible thing that could be imagined, on the one hand because there are infinite numbers of those things, but on the other hand because some of those thoughts and ideas are so... F- far, so, so far away from our experience of the world, that it would never even occur to us to think of them. The example I gave last week was that it would have supposedly been impossible for you, had you lived in Middle Ages Europe, to be anything other than Catholic. Because everybody was Catholic, you'd never encountered the idea that it was possible to not be Catholic, just in the same way that you today have never encountered the idea that you can perhaps uh, live without a a job, live without working. And yet who knows, maybe at some, some future point, in some future world, the idea of working for a living will be peculiar to your ordinary person. We don't know, but what that tells me is that we're bound and constrained by the world that we find ourselves in, both physically and ideologically, that we can maybe push the boundaries of that a little bit, but to go very far outside of it is strange and bizarre. I recall hearing Joseph Campbell talk of a story of uh, a group of tribal people who lived in a forest and in caves and they they were always surrounded by closeness. Their environment was always close to them. They never saw anything far away. And an anthropologist took one of these people up a mountain and from the top of the mountain looked down over the plains and saw the I don't know what they were buffalo or yaks or something on the plain below tiny tiny animals so far distant and the man was terrified because he didn't understand how to think about it. He didn't understand that they were far away and therefore tiny because he'd never seen anything far away in his whole life in that context. And so he was terrified. He thought they were, you know, tiny ant-sized cows. He knew what, a, what, what one of those cows or bison or yaks looked like. He knew what they looked like, but he thought that they were actually tiny because he had no context for what something would look like at that distance. And it's an example of the world in which we grow up, the world in which we find ourselves now, puts limits on the things that we can think. It gives us prompts that we follow and that maybe we modify and navigate with the imagination that we have. But our imagination is not unbound. It is connected to our past and to the world that we find ourselves in in the present moment the same way that our Body is connected to the physical world that we find ourselves in at any given time. Last week I made an example with a pine cone because I looked at the forest floor and saw a pine cone. Today it was a tree because there's a tree. The things that are around us are the things that are in our awareness, and those are the things that we use to build both physical things, and ideas. That's part of the reason that I come to the forest to have these conversations, because the natural world is not something that was made for us, the way our cities and our homes are. When I sit here, I am the same as the trees. I have an equal standing with them, because both of us are just here. Both of us just find ourselves here. The forest is not here for us. We are a part of it. The world brought it into existence through happenstance or (laughs) its idea of what life ought to be or or whatever you want to think about how and why things like forests exist. But when I'm sitting here I feel very strongly that it's not here for me And I'm not here for it. Both of us are just here together. And while we are, we are a part of the same thing. We share something and we are connected. And I think that comes through in the ideas that emerge in the Dead Man's Forest, in these conversations. So our imagination is constrained by the world that we live in and kind of bound by the ideas that we've encountered and by the things that we bump into on a day-to-day basis. But that world and those ideas were were given to us from the past. No one built this forest, except maybe Mother Earth, uh, if you want to think of her as a as a being, as a, some kind of conscious being. But someone did, someone did found the, the company that you work for. And someone founded the city that you live in. And someone founded the country that you live in. And someone thought up the religion that you believe in and the political ideology that you ascribe to. They thought up the sports that you watch, the games that you play, every hobby that you have is a hobby that someone else dreamed up. And so we live in a world that's full of things, full of both objects and institutions and ideas and philosophies and beliefs that have been given to us by people who came before us. And it's, it seems that in many ways, our lives are richer for that, for those gifts that we have been given. And, and it falls to us, therefore, to try and take that world that we have been given and to work to create our own gifts that we can give those who come after us. If we simply take the gifts that we've been given and pass them on as they are without changing, without contributing them, then what has been our reason for being here? Just, just to be, to have no impact whatsoever. I'm sitting in a forest surrounded by dozens of giant, beautiful old pine trees. And they came from some other pine trees. And someday they will die. But new trees will grow in their place because they were here, because they were here, because they dropped all of these pine cones that I see on the, on the forest floor around me. That, that process of both being in the world that we have been given, seeing that we are connected to it, and seeing that we can pass that on and make our mark and have our impact on the future world, that, that feels like being alive. And I want to participate in that as actively as I can, as I can figure out how. And that too is a part of the work that we do here in the Dead Man's Forest. Over the past few weeks I've encountered, here and there, the idea of self-inflicted pain. Sometimes we hurt ourselves because we need to, in order to heal, we need to do it temporarily so that we can heal up. You know, for example, uh, when you pop a zit, it hurts for a moment, but then the pressure has been relieved and you feel you feel that sense of relief. And perhaps when, when we inflict temporary pain so that our bodies can heal themselves, that's a that entire process is something that we get a a strange kind of satisfaction from or that meets a a need that we have. Perhaps there's a need to kind of move back and forth between discomfort and comfort. Perhaps we measure our comfort only in comparison to our discomfort. That's, That's the thought that I had about about physical pains, but I also realize that, that we cause ourselves emotional pain a lot too. Like We, we do it to ourselves. Um, we sabotage, we self-sabotage uh, things like relationships or job opportunities or other situations that we find ourselves in. Um, or we, we engage in in self-destructive acts. In doing drugs, or you know, people who uh, cut themselves or commit suicide, we we hurt ourselves on a regular basis. And I was trying to think about why why it is that we do that. Is it is it the same Kind of reason that we pop a zit, or you know, lance a boil, or set a broken bone because we think there's something broken in us that requires pain and discomfort in order to heal. I mean, I'm sure there's 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 actually lots of reasons. Um, there's the one I just mentioned or, you know, I know that some people hurt themselves, cut themselves just in order to feel something. They, they feel so numb all the time emotionally and perhaps even physically that that, that keen sense of pain uh, just reminds them that they are still there, that they're still alive. So perhaps that is a motivation behind some of these self-destructive tendencies that we have. Um, Perhaps it is that that we don't feel that we are worthy of a a promotion or a relationship. And so we part of us works to undermine and destroy that thing because we don't believe that we deserve it. Um, Perhaps we do it to feel in control. I have heard that people who are in relationships where they... um, they're convinced that the relationship isn't going to work for one reason or another, perhaps just because they feel unworthy or undeserving of it, but, but they are sure in their heart that the relationship isn't going to work. And so they subtly set out to to undermine it and to destroy it because they would rather it end on their terms than it end based on the other person or some factor outside of their control. So it lets them feel like they are in control, even though they are the one who's destroying, rather than they are just someone for whom things are falling apart. Perhaps some people just like the roller coaster. They self-destruct so that when things are going well, they can, they can feel that high. It's that uh, comparison that I mentioned earlier. We can only feel the highs because we feel them in comparison with the lows. There are lots of reasons, as you can tell. I'm sure there's many that I'm not even thinking of. There's lots of reasons why we hurt ourselves. And perhaps some of them are good. I don't know if I can judge that. But I thought I, I wondered if there were people out there who didn't behave that way, who didn't hurt themselves, who didn't self-sabotage or believe that they were unworthy. And and the term enlightenment came to mind. Uh, I I I don't know exactly what that means. I've given it a good deal of thought and will likely give it a good deal more. Um, What what does it mean to be an enlightened person? Because the term enlightenment to me seems to suggest that there is some truth out there that enlightened people have realized. Like, oh, it's been like this knowledge has been delivered to them (laughs) like a cliche painting where there's a light shining down from the sky a heavenly light and they all of a sudden have this realization (laughs) and it occurs to me that maybe that's what I'm looking for in conversations from the Dead Man's Forest but really I'm also aware of the fact that as we've talked about in earlier conversations, truth is a strange thing. It is hard to pin down. It's hard to define. I, I question whether or not it even exists or if it is one of those things that we human beings made up the same way we made up money. And because I was Thinking about enlightenment that way, that it's not the receiving of some great truth, I wondered if perhaps enlightened people are simply people who have, for whatever reason, become content with the world they find themselves in, that we don't have any immediate control over, right? It it has been delivered to us as a gift from the past. Perhaps enlightened people have simply accepted that on a, on a much deeper level than most of us. And in most, if not all situations, they simply say, this is great. This is wonderful. I appreciate everything that's around me. I feel no need to fix myself or to harm myself, which is what I was talking about to sabotage. I feel worthy of all of the things that come my way because Because the world has sent them to me, whatever, you know, whatever that means. So I just wondered if enlightenment is not that far away for any of us. But perhaps at the same time, it's something that we all move in and out of very frequently without even noticing it. And finally, this week I've been thinking about change. It's a topic that came up in last week's conversation. As I walked into my forest, my forest, as I walked into the forest here, I thought about the future. I thought about how the forest will change, about how trees will fall and die and this place that I have come to love through visiting it every week, will someday soon be completely different, will be a place that perhaps I no longer recognize, and it made me sad, The, 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 the passing away of things always makes me a little bit sad, but it occurred to me then that there will always, for as long as I am here, I think, be a forest for me to come to even if it changes. And so I wonder if that sadness that I feel is really a mourning for my own mortality. For the fact that I won't be here forever. So when I think about things like enlightenment and truth and the way we imagine ourselves into the future and the way we're connected to the world around us that has been delivered to us that we have grown up in that our minds have become accustomed to i think i too am connected to that that future death of mine as are we all and it is something that it is something that i must accept in the same way that i accept the rest of what has been given to me. I have been given a temporary mortal life. And while it is occasionally challenging to figure out how to live it, it is at all times an amazing privilege to be able to live it. To be able to look around and say, there's all of this world around me, and it's all amazing. What a privilege. So thanks for being here to share it with me. I really appreciate your participation in the conversations from the Deadman's Forest. Whether you love to listen, or if you have things to say, we need all kinds of people to have a, a real living, vibrant, conversation. Thank you for being a part of that. If you do find that you have something to say, please reach out on Twitter at deadmansforest1, the number one, or on our website, deadmansforest.org. Thanks for being here this week, and I look forward to continuing the conversation in the weeks to come. Bye-bye.